I was truly checking boxes. I got my degree. I got my first job out of college. Everybody was telling me, now you go to PhD. So that's what I did. We are going for liftoff in T minus 30. All systems are And on this episode of the Great Escape podcast, I'm talking to Ellen Shinky, who describes herself as a former biomedical researcher turned lifestyle management and transformation coach. Go on, Ellen. I love that intro. Tell us, <laughs> tell us about the life before, and then we'll come into the life after. Yeah. How did you go from doing biomedical research to coaching? Well, um, I, I actually, when I tell the story, I like to start when I was in high school, uh, because I was that kid who was told, you know, you're so intelligent, you need to do something with that. But even at that time, I was also the kid who I was singing in choir, I was playing soccer or football. Um, I was doing all of these different things. But that was kind of the thing that everybody told me, this is your future, this is what's going to make you successful. So you need to do something great with it. Um, and I'd always really enjoyed science as a subject. It actually was probably my worst subject, but I'd always really enjoyed science and all the things that I thought you could do with science, you know, cure all these diseases, cure cancer, all that jazz. So when I went into school, I knew that I was going to major in something science related so that I could do what everybody had been telling me and do something that, you know, equaled the intelligence that people had always been telling me that I had. So um, I from the get-go, went into a microbiology program, which probably seems really freaking random to a lot of people. But um, there's a movie, a really, really terrible 80s movie called Outbreak, uh, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, I watched that in my ninth grade biology class, and I was just like, I want to do that. That is so cool. I want to do that. I don't care how unrealistic this movie is. I want to do that. Um, so I went into microbiology. I actually started working in research labs right when I started school, and I was good at it. Like, I can't say much more than to say that I was good at it and I was comfortable in a lab. So for the next six years, I got my degree. I was a double major, or actually double degree in microbiology and genetics. Um, I'd worked in labs for six years. I did reproductive biology. I did gene therapy. I worked with viruses, all of this stuff that's really, it's cool. And then I went to my PhD because that was kind of the logical next step that everybody had been telling me to take. So I was truly checking boxes. I got my degree. I got my first job out of college. Everybody was telling me, now you go to PhD. So that's what I did. Um, and I interviewed for all of these PhD programs. And I ended up at um, really what was like my dream PhD program because it was all of these people who... You know, I've been told a lot in my education, you're very outgoing for a microbiologist. Well, this, yeah. Um, and all of these people in my PhD program and in that department were equally as outgoing as me. So I felt like I'd found a home and a place that really reflected how I saw scientists being because there were people who were more like me. Um, and needless to say, I landed in this PhD program. And anytime you start something new, you know, it's like shiny object syndrome, like it's exciting, you, it's easy to find enthusiasm, because everything's in new. But with that, I also met a lot of imposter syndrome, because I went from being one of the most intelligent people, one of the most successful scientists to come out of my undergrad, because I had publications as an undergraduate. Um, so I went from that to an environment where everybody was like that. And I was no longer a standout. And I didn't know how to balance that. I didn't know how to find my voice as a scientist. So I really, really struggled my first year with imposter syndrome. 
And I also really struggled my first year because I felt like every time I tried to do something that brought another facet to my life other than science, I was met with resistance, whether it was by my, you know, people who I was working with, my peers, my mentors, you know, I tried to do this, I wanted to do this dual degree program and I was getting met with resistance about how I was unfocused because I was going to all of these other classes to further my education. I, you know, as happens when you go to school, I'd started to kind of let myself go my first year. And I was just like, no, I don't want to do this. I, I want to be fit and academically successful. So I started doing all of these workouts and stuff and again, was met with resistance. And I started to very much feel early on in my program that I couldn't do all of these things that I wanted to do and be a successful scientist. So it really, I had these two parts of myself that were just clashing really, really significantly. And as I progressed in my program, I was kind of like, well, make this work. I'll, I'll do what I have to do to do it my way. And the resistance eventually turned into bullying in a lot of different forms. And we bonded about this before the call. My bullying was actually from peers. It was not from mentors or bosses. It was from a lot of my peers that for one reason or another did not like how I was doing things. And um, one of them in particular was kind of like the the leader of like the friend group that I hung out in. And so I felt very ostracized and that I no longer belonged. And that really led to me kind of isolating myself. I called it my quarter life crisis because I had gotten to a point where I know, yeah, <laughs> I no longer felt like I could make it work and that these two parts of my life were so different. I had the part of me that loved health and fitness and wanted to coach. Actually, that's when I started coaching as a side hustle and I no longer felt like they could coexist. And so I kind of stepped back from coaching. I stepped back from science and was just trying to figure my shit out for a solid like three or four months of just kind of being a hermit a little bit. And I eventually came out of that. Um, but through all of this time, I was just having a lot of doubts of, is this the right place for me? Can I truly have the kind of multifaceted and multidimensional life that I want to have and do this path? And then in spring 2016, you know how they always say bad things happen in threes? That was my life <laughs> that summer. Um, my grandpa passed away. He was the first significant family member I lost. Um, and that was a huge wake up call for me because suddenly I was 3000 miles away from home doing something that I didn't like, that didn't bring me joy, that didn't feel worth it to be so far removed from my family at this time. So that was like punch in the face number one that summer. Um, a month after my grandpa passed away, while I was home at his funeral, somebody had hit my parked car and caused a few thousand dollars worth of damage. Thank you to whoever you are. Um, and then like two weeks after that, I broke the first bone of my life, crashing my bicycle um, and was in a sling for the rest of the summer. And then about a month after that, I had the worst professional meeting of my life um, and basically sat down after that meeting was like, if I'm in school to learn and I don't feel like I'm learning, I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall and being raked over the coals when things aren't working and it's not my fault. This is pointless. I'm out. And about a few weeks after that, when my boss got back from vacation, poor her, um, my boss got back from vacation and I walked into her office and kind of dropped a bomb and was just like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And so I decided to leave. And that began the crazy transition of my life that now has led me into coaching and doing what I do now. So that was that point at which you decided that life could no longer be 
what it is it has to change mm -hmm. but at this point you you didn't have a plan for what it could be I mean, I think I had an idea in the back of my head that I knew I wanted to coach or at least try coaching. But yeah, I was very much at like, this is not my path. This is not what I want in my life. This is not making me happy. And I've given it long enough to know that it's not going to change enough to make me happy. But yeah, you're right. I didn't have a clear picture of what the next steps in my life were going to look like. Okay. And although you had said to your boss, this is it, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Did you yet believe that you could create a new life or were you just kind of this has to stop or, or did you know in that moment that actually this could be different? I think I knew in that moment because it hadn't, even though it happened in a moment and that moment was kind of when I decided to get out, it was two years, a year and a half at least in the making of me leading up to that moment. And that's kind of why I said like I, I knew at this point that things weren't going to change enough for me to feel like this was going to be the life that would lead me in the to the place that I wanted to be. Um, so it really was the moment. And when I made the decision to quit, I knew that this isn't what I wanted anymore and that I could have different. I just didn't know what that different was. So yeah, I definitely think I had a clear picture at that moment. It was just a matter of clarifying the, the how, I guess. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think also you alluded to um, yeah, the, the the stress that that two and a half year period wasn't mm. just this is unpleasant it was mm -hmm. actually really causing you mental mm -hmm. distress mm -hmm. during that period of time actually in that period of time my program director god bless her was basically told me she's like you need to go see a therapist i will make the appointment for you but you need to go talk to someone. And I broke down crying in that meeting because it was, and it was my first year of my graduate program. Like, I don't know why it took me until the beginning of my fourth year. I do, actually, I do know why it took me. But I was struggling that much in year one that my program director was just like, you need to go talk to a therapist, my friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm kind of glad she had that presence of mind. I know, so I know. you've then, you've, you've quit. You've mm -hmm. said to everybody, this is it, I'm out. Mm -hmm. you, and what happened next? How did you come to decide, okay, this is the, the new route? Mm -hmm. And how did you begin to execute on that? Mm -hmm. Well, fortunately for me, I did have a little bit of a period where I still had a job. My, my boss was very understanding of the decision I made. In fact, I will never forget that she said this. She said, you're brave for making this choice and realizing that this isn't the right path for you. She's like, yeah, I want you to stay, but you're brave for understanding yourself well enough to know. So I had a supportive environment in that sense. My mentor, the person who, you know, in my immediate vicinity at work who I was most scared of disappointing was very supportive. And she gave me a job in the lab while I wrote out my lease where I was living at the time. So that gave me an income and gave me the flexibility to kind of find my next steps. And I kind of slowly moved out of science because releasing the identity of being a scientist was really hard for me. You know, at that point, I was only, oh gosh, when was this? I was only 28, 27 when I decided to leave. But at that point, I had been doing research for almost a decade. Like it very much was how I defined and identified um, myself. And so releasing that identity was hard, but I kind of started taking these incremental steps out 
where I was still doing research, but I also started taking like these little side jobs doing like science editing. So I was still a scientist, but I wasn't researching anymore. And then when I finally did leave, I was still doing a little bit of science editing, but then starting to move into coaching a bit more. So it was like a year of kind of an overlap of these two identities that I had of scientist and coach and kind of slowly moving into it. So that was, I was very fortunate in that sense. But that was also the time where we joked about me giving $5,000 to a random company on the internet. That happened in that interim as well. (laughs) So I should explain before we actually started recording, we had a lovely conversation, various bits of it. I think I wish I'd recorded, but I didn't. So um, yeah, Ellen uh, alluded just there to to spending $5,000 with a random company on the internet. So you you basically went out and you, you paid for a a program to learn how to become a coach. Well, actually, it wasn't even a learning how to become a coach. It was even more disconnected from my future life than that. Actually, I paid $5,000 as a down payment to a company to travel with them for a year. I had been in my, you know, mind locked in a lab for the last 10 years with really very little location freedom and flexibility. And I'd been presented with this opportunity to travel the world for a year. And it was kind of on a whim. I think I'd had a few glasses of wine one night and was just like, this sounds like a great idea. Um, So I applied and I got into the program. And actually, as dichotomous as that feels from my, my life, even as a coach now, that was probably the best thing I could have done because I think I was too damn comfortable where I'd been. I could have kept science editing. I could have kept, you know, I maybe would have gone back into research in some capacity, but by doing this thing, by giving this company this money and then traveling with them for a year, it actually ended up being like $27,500 to travel with them for a year. Um, But that removed me from my situation and forced me to get really, really uncomfortable. I was traveling with 50 people I didn't know. But even in that sense, that gave me, I'd always had this kind of adventurous spirit. I love hiking. I love, when I moved from graduate school back to my hometown, I took a 5,000 mile road trip across the U.S., like in this big, all sorts of, all over the place in the U.S. It wasn't even logical or a straight line, but we went all over the place. And I got to really embrace that. And that kind of became part of my brand and part of how I coached and something that I encourage a lot of my clients to do is if you have these crazy things that you want to incorporate in your life, do them. I did it. I traveled for 12 months. Am I still doing it? No. But it became a part of my coaching brand. And I also, through that community, that remote year community and through the people in my community, I started my coaching business. They were my first clients. So in so many ways, as random as it seemed, it was exactly the step I needed to take to get me out of my comfort zone and really show me all that life had to offer, as, as cliche and cheesy as that is, because I didn't even know this was a lifestyle that was a realistic thing to cultivate. Well, I'm really fascinated with this, you know, traveling the world, traveling the US, and then from that, you've kind of developed your first customers. Mm-hmm. But did you have, at what point did the idea of coaching become an idea. Was that while you were traveling or had that existed beforehand? That actually had existed. I always joke that I've been coaching in some capacity since I was in high school. You know, I, it was, if it's not coaching, it was mentoring or it was, you know, teaching 
Um, so it's always been a part of my life. But then actually it started in graduate school. I, I always joke that when I discovered coaching, it was in the first year of my PhD program. And I always say it threw a monkey wrench into my life because I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. I started at the time as a source of accountability for myself because it was health and fitness related. Um, but I couldn't shake how much I loved mentoring people. And actually, I loved the health and fitness side, but I loved the personal growth side more. I loved getting into the nitty gritty with people of what are your values? How are you living your values? What do you truly want in life outside of your career goals? So much of us are focused in terms of our our goals around our career. There's more to you than that. And that's kind of where the multi-passionate piece comes, came in is I realized that all of these people that I was helping and all of these people that I was working with, they backburnered all of these passions that they had for the sake of being realistic in their job or maybe as a parent or whatever. Um, and I wanted them to give themselves permission to start to explore and experiment these things. So it was kind of always in the back of my mind. And then when I got out of science and started doing this travel thing, it just exploded because all of a sudden I was living all of these things that I'd just been professing to all the people that I was coaching. And it felt... It find it. It's finally felt like it all started to mesh. And that's a common theme that actually, often the thing that we end up doing has kind of been within us mm -hmm. for such a long period of time. It's just taken whatever journey we've had to to get to where we we now are. Mm -hmm. So you've built your coaching business. You you talked about that multi passionate element so mm -hmm. you're you're talking you're coaching people who aren't just wanting to be internet entrepreneurs or mm -hmm. whatever it is they're they're wanting lots mm -hmm. tell us a bit more about that yeah so i um as i hinted at at the beginning i've always been a person who did all the things sometimes to my detriment because sometimes it can be very stressful wearing that many hats but i have always been somebody who I, maybe it's because I love to be busy, but I think it's also just because I have a lot of things that I am really interested in. I've always been a musician. I've sang and played the piano since I was small. Um, I've always been an athlete. I played uh, soccer from the time I was five until I had to stop playing in my mid-20s because I broke myself in high school and my knees just don't operate quite like they used to. Um, but I've always been an athlete. I've always loved to write. Um, and Oddly, it started to become a passion over the years to to speak and to do podcast interviews. And so all of these and I'm a I'm a book nerd. I love to read. I read like 50 books a year. Um, so I had all of these passions and these things that I was juggling that when I was in college or in graduate school, I didn't make time for because it felt selfish or I felt guilty to be, because in, you know, PhD program, you're paid, you get a stipend to do the work that you're doing. And I felt guilty and selfish to be spending my time doing other things, as opposed to doing the PhD. And so I stifled all of these other passions and all of these other interests and parts of my personality. And that, you know, we joked about the quarter life crisis that really affected me because I no longer felt like I was being myself. It felt inauthentic to stuff all of these other parts of me down. And the more I worked with clients, even in the health and fitness capacity, the more I realized all of us are doing this. Some more than others, though. But all of us are doing this. All of us are compartmentalizing our lives into, 
I, this is my work life and I'm only allowed to be this thing in my work, work life or this is my family life. And I think that's okay to an extent, but my big thing over the course of the years has been do all the things. Like if you want to go out and photograph on a random Saturday morning, do it. If you want to go run a marathon, even if you don't feel like you're a runner, go do it. I feel like we all get so caught up in these labels of the things we are and we are not that we don't let ourselves dive in and jump into the different passions that we truly do have and the different things that we truly do want to do. And over the course of the years, that's kind of been my big mission and my goal is to allow have people give themselves permission to start to experiment with these things. I had a great identity conversation with my friend actually like a year and a half ago to the day. It was my first podcast interview experience, actually. And the conversation we had is at what point do you start to adopt that identity? You know, at what point can you start to call yourself a runner? Well, if you open the door and lace up your tennis shoes and go on a run, you're a runner. There's there's no point at which you start to adopt the label. If you do the thing, that's when you can bring that label into a part of who you are. So that's kind of what the multi-passionate thing became. It's just giving people permission to experiment with the things that they're interested in and to adopt the labels as they want. Like, who gives a shit about the rest of it? And do you feel that you've at least partially been successful in integrating that into yourself, into your own life? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I feel more like, you know, we all want to grow up from our younger versions of ourselves. But I think one thing that the young version of myself did very, very well at is I never felt like I had to be pigeonholed. I could do all the things and there was no holding me back from doing that. And I feel like I've started to step back into her in a really, really profound way over the last, you know, four or five years. I've let myself bring that athlete back out. I've let myself bring, even if I'm a terrible writer, I've let myself be a writer again. I've let myself be a photographer again. You know, I've let myself be a singer again, even if all I do is sing in the shower or sing to the karaoke app on my phone. Like, I've let myself do these things. And I think that give yourself permission factor is the thing that a lot of us are missing. And I've given myself permission to be a hiker or a traveler, even if I'm not traveling like I was last year. Like I still am that, even if I'm not currently doing it. And I think that's been a bit of the mindset shift for me. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, uh, we end up in the, I should be doing this and I should be doing mm. that rather than the... I, I hate that word. Want. That's why I made that noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. Um, and now, as life unfolds in front of you, and just wait till the midlife crisis hits, because <laughs> that's a whole nother thing. In fact, uh, a couple of my uh, colleagues and I were talking about this this afternoon. The the realization that life isn't endless. That mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, that things kick in but hey this is not about that. <laughs> um, but as you as you move forwards do you do you have a plan for how the business should be growing or staying the same size in order to support the rest of your life or are you allowing it to be more organic in mm-hmm. the way it, life moves on Oh, much more organic, which is very unlike me. I'm very much a planner. I love the five-year, 10-year plans. I mean, look at my my life when I was in graduate school. But I've kind of come to the realization since I left graduate school that life is 
kind of something that happens in chapters, especially for people that are millennials and are in my generation. There's a lot less of a, and you even talked about it a lot with your experience. There's a lot less of a, this is your plan and your path and your trajectory for the next 40, 50 years. There's a lot less of that. It's kind of more of a like almost five, 10 years at a time kind of thing. And my five, my first 10 years was science and it was doing research. And now I'm in a chapter of coaching. But my first couple years of that was really just because there was so much overlap with the science. It was really just a figuring out, is this something that I actually want? And now that I've answered the question that, yes, this is something I actually want. Now I'm kind of in the stage of my business of, okay, this is what I want. Now, what's the impact that I want to make? What's the thing that I want to offer to my people to make that impact? So I'm kind of in this weird, organic, figuring stuff out stage of what is my, I hate the phrase zone of genius, but I'm going to use it. Um, I, (laughs) um, what is my zone of genius? What's the big thing that I can truly offer people that's going to really help them impact their lives? Because I, for the last few years, have been saying, you know, take back your life on your terms. That's what I felt like I had to do coming out of graduate school was to take back my life and make it what I wanted to make it, not what my mentors wanted me to make it or my peers wanted me to make it or even my parents. Like I've been a people pleaser my entire freaking life. And I'm at the point now where I'm making it what I want to make it. So what does that look like? And really giving people the tools and the training and the, the tricks and the hacks that can help them do the exact same thing. So I'm kind of in this weird flux stage in my business right now, of kind of figuring out what my next steps are. But I know this is what I want to do. So I'm definitely committed to that. Okay. And you're having fun on a daily basis rather than wanting to just stay under the duvet every day. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. I rode my first jet ski this weekend. Um, I am constantly going on all these random hikes with with my friends. Um, I am, yeah. It's and I'm creating stuff as I see it and as I as I as it comes to me. Um, so I'm really really excited for a lot of the new things I've got coming up. I'm creating a. Um, I'm constantly told by all my friends like your organizational systems are insane. Like how do you juggle all the things? Because I do have a day job as I'm kind of figuring out um, what the next steps are for me in my coaching business. And one of the big things all my friends in my mastermind have been telling me is you need to create some sort of time management productivity system and planner. So I'm doing that right now and I'm having a lot of fun with that. Um, and yeah, who knows where things are going to go. I want to start like real speaking, like on a stage. I love doing podcasts. So I want to take that to the next level. So we'll see. I applied to Ted, but I didn't get in this year. (laughs) (laughs) I did a TEDx in 2016. I saw Um, that. Yeah. Uh, that was a whole different life. But anyway, (laughs) Ellen, that's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you for, for being so open and honest and especially, you know, this tail end of the conversation where you haven't got it all buttoned up. Life is still becoming what it's becoming. And I think that's something that listeners will find really encouraging, that Mm -hmm. there doesn't have to be this neat ending to Mm -hmm. the process, that Mm -hmm. that the escape is often uh, an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. We never stop digging the tunnel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and related to that real quick, I had someone come on my podcast and she introduced me to her book. So she gets a shameless plug in this, I guess. Um, But she talked to me about this. She's a former engineer, former rocket scientist, actually. Really cool person. Um, And she talked to me about how growth is an iterative process. Like, just like 
in business development and in product development, we go through these cycles where we're kind of analyzing and then implementing and then analyzing and implementing. Growth works the same way. Personal and professional development works the same way. And you have to give yourself those moments of, you know, kind of introspection and figuring out what those important next steps are and not constantly be in the implementation stage. Because at some point you have to ask yourself if what you're implementing is the right thing for you to implement. And I've really taken that to heart ever since we had that conversation earlier this summer. Um, And I'm in an introspection phase. And I think sometimes we have to allow ourselves to be in that introspection phase as opposed to just constantly achieving and implementing all the time. So, yeah. Cool. (laughs) Well, that's an amazing ending to the interview. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Great Escape podcast. You can find other episodes at all the usual places on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify or at the website greatescapepodcast.com forward slash episodes. And if you'd like to contact me to talk about any element of this episode or others have covered, please go to greatescapepodcast.com forward slash contact and you can find all the ways of getting hold of me there. And if you're stuck in a situation and you can't find the way out, please go there, send me a message and let's see how we can work together to get you unstuck and moving forward with your life again. Please do share this podcast with your friends and family, other people you think might appreciate it, and comment on episodes or send me a message. I'd love to keep the conversation going.